What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, there hasn't been a whole lot of news in the hockey world since we recorded last, with the exception of Matthew Kachuk. He will not be re-signing a long-term deal with the Calgary Flames. Kachuk, who is an RFA right now, has made it clear to the Flames that he wants out. This comes after, of course, his good friend Johnny Goudreau ended up leaving the Flames going to Columbus. Rumors are already swirling about the potential options for where we could see Kachuk end up. St. Louis is one of the ones at the top of the list as it's his hometown. Other teams like Nashville, I believe, Taylor, you have the full list there. So do you want to just go into the teams that are being reported as possibilities and then also just your take on the whole situation? Yeah, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic uh, said that he submitted a list. The list uh, includes but isn't limited to St. Louis, Vegas, Florida, Nashville, and Dallas. So that is four warm weather places in his hometown. Uh, And then... Also, he's expressed interest in New Jersey and New York in the past. That's New York Rangers, not Islanders. So he is a UFA in two years, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, which means that whoever is trading for him, if he's not making some kind of commitment before a trade, that really hurts his trade value. And in fact, if Calgary is smart, they're probably going to try to work this out so he is going somewhere it's a double-edged sword because calgary on one hand they either have the entire market and say we're trading matthew kachuk don't look at his contract look that he had 104 points last year you're giving us a lot no matter what or they could really limit the market by going to his list and saying something like hey you're on the short list he'll he will sign with you and then you could work that out in the background that way this team knows that hey he will sign with us now you could work out an eight-year deal right now. You don't have to wait for him to brief rage and you don't have to do any of that stuff. So you could do an eight-year deal starting right now. And that would be, I think, the ideal move for if you're sure. a team that he wants to be traded to. I guess uh, the other thing I should bring up here before we even get to this, what are the chances you think that he and Brady uh, would ever want to team up in St. Louis, which is where they were both from as their dad was a long time blue? I feel like it'd be very likely, but Brady's committed to Ottawa. Didn't he just sign his extension there, which I believe was like eight years? Mm. Well, let me ask you something, Brendan. When's the last time a senator finished the long-term contract in Ottawa? You know, Taylor? Is it like Chris Phillips? That's a great question. No, I mean, I, I definitely think that's fair. And I say that not from the perspective of him not wanting to go there, but Ottawa being in a position where they probably wouldn't want to trade him right now. I mean, or anytime soon, I should say he's their captain. And I don't, but then again, you know, what's kind of funny about it is that there's a lot of folks and I would probably consider myself among them who think that Ottawa might be accelerating their rebuild a little bit too much where they're putting all their eggs in baskets and not, necessarily filling out the rest of their roster in the way that they should if they're trying to compete for the long term. Sejuru falls off a cliff after this year and Cam Talbot sucks and they still don't address the lack of depth on their blue line. Does Drew have to fall off a cliff? Well not necessarily based on how he was in the playoffs. Not necessarily but if he is how he is in the playoffs, he's not worth the money. Well right. Let's also keep in mind that they're playing in Probably the toughest division in hockey. 
Seems that way. Ottawa, safely, we could say, is not better than Florida. It's not better than Tampa. It's not better than Toronto. If you have Bergeron and Krejci coming back to the Bruins, they're not better than Boston. Depends how long people are out. Well, that too. Probably not. Are they definitively better than Detroit? Not definitively, especially if goaltending is a factor for both teams. That's a fair question to ask. I mean, three, four years from now, if, you know, Ottawa is not able to get over the hump and make the playoffs in the next few years, there's some serious questions there. Mm, Now, Brendan, Ottawa signed Claude Giroux, Mm. traded for Alex DeBrincat. Why would they do that? (laughs) Why would they do that? I don't know. I don't know either, actually. I think they think they're ready to compete. It's uh, I, I know they said this was going to, well, the guy who said it's dead, but the era of unprecedented success, which was supposed to begin like two years ago, I think. Uh-huh. So it's not really going that well so far. I guess we'll see how Claude Giroux is. Uh, but back to the Kachucks. Well, apparently, I'm going to self-correct. They're both born in Phoenix, but they grew up in St. Louis. Right. So like St. Louis is really the home that they remember. And... That was, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, I think. And our best pals with Robert Thomas, too, who just signed an eight-year extension in St. Louis. Yeah, that's it's worth keeping an eye on, for especially from Matt's perspective, if he's, I guess, going to try to go back. He's a really interesting character because if you're a team, how comfortable are you get, uh, giving him eight years, 88 million? I don't know. Because I am. This, this past season, no doubt, he's incredible. Like he had 104 points. He's a 40 goal scorer and a 60 assist guy and tough. And, you know, gets into it, starts shit with people. He's a pest. Great guy to have around all around. But like, he was not like this any other season of his career. He's had good numbers all the way through, but they're not like this. But it's, but is it, can you also make the claim though that this is what he's been building towards in his career? I mean, he had 104 points in 82 games this year in his age 24 season. Last year, a bit of a fall off there, 43 points in 56 games. The year prior to that, though, 61 points in 69 games. The year before that, 77 points in 80 games. Obviously, that's just looking at point totals, which does not tell the whole picture there. But looking at his possession metrics, I mean, this past season, his Corsi 4 in all situations was 65.2. The year prior, it was 61.1. The year prior to that, a little bit lower, 58.8, still on the positive side, though. Before that, 62.4. The year before that, in his second season, 62.9. I mean, he has consistently been an all-around high-end player who is a play-driving winger. He gives whatever team trades for him, the kind of guy that is – I mean, is there any other players that are as good as he is who play his style that you could think of in the league right now? I can't. Not exactly, no, because I would say his style is different than Marchand because he's bigger and stronger. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I guess not. I guess he's I would the best be, power I mean, right now. It's been like he's a play driving winger. He's 24 years old. He like the point productions there. He has the all around game. He has the physicality component. Uh, generally speaking, I mean, he's been available. Not any major injury concerns. I, if you were to come to me right now and say the Sabres have a package in place, he would come here and he would sign eight years, 11 million per, I would, I would do it. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty reasonable. I guess I was just thinking that he's, 
he had, if you want to call this a contract year, because he's an RFA, it's a pretty great contract year. Like, which is what also we said about Nazem Kadri. Right. But yeah, it's going to take something like that if you want to actually get him. If you're not willing to pay that, you won't be able to. Now, are people just going to be able to give him eight, though? Well, that's the big thing, you know, because kind of transition into what we were going to talk about with this, I guess, relating it back to the Sabres is if the Sabres were even a possibility that Kachuk would consider signing here, which I, I doubt is very unlikely, would we do it? But I think the deeper question here is because of the contract that's going to have to be given to him, it drastically limits where he has the potential of going. Like we are already well past the net, the initial wave of free agency. There's still guys out there who haven't been signed. I mean, big names like Kadri and Klingberg still we're waiting to hear on, but by and large, a lot of teams have their cap situation figured out for next year. And you would need to probably make some clear, a lot of cap space to be able to bring in a guy like that, to give him an 11, like a, a $10 million plus deal. We'll just say generally speaking. So I think that limits the, the potential options of where he could end up going. And obviously when we're talking about this being a trade money can go back and you can clear some space that way. But what teams I guess have the, the packages that you would be able to not only have enough to be able to get this guy, but also unload the cap space necessary to sign him too. Not yeah. many. No, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think like Vegas has been brought up as a possibility and it's like, how are they going to do that? They're already over the cap. They have like Trade multiple Eichel. guys still to sign. Trade yeah. Eichel. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. At this point you'd have to probably dump March or so and Carlson to make that work. Yep. So that's easier said than done. Calgary's not going to, wouldn't, wouldn't take on Carlson's contract. Who the hell would take that contract? You would, Vegas would have to be giving up uh, easily a first with that just to get somebody to take it. They should, they should do that to the Sabres. Honestly, no, wait, no, they shouldn't. I don't want the Sabres to do that. No, it's five more years. Mm-mm. Yeah. Pass on that. I don't want five, that. 5.9 million. JVR for one more year, for one more year at seven plus I'll do that any day of the week, but Carlson though, five more years at that cap hit. Uh uh-uh. No, maybe Arizona would do it. Um, well, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. So should we move on to the Sabres at all? Well, I wanted to ask you, let me just throw this at you because um, obviously as, as all things have to go, when it comes to a player becoming available, people will start to talk about, Oh, well, could the Sabres be in on this? And in the hypothetical situation here, that uh, our colleague Joe Marino, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Joe TCBNHL, had posed was, and he's a big proponent of going after Kachuk. I don't know necessarily if this is a, would be enough to get it done. I, I doubt that it would. But the idea that he put out there was, would you trade J.J. Paterka, Isaac Rosend, Noah Ostland, a 2023 first with top 10 protection, and a 2023 second for Matt Kachuk with an eight-year extension? The results of this were 33% said hard yes, 20% said hard no, which is insane to me. Uh, 30% said reluctant yes, and 16% said reluctant no. So we're looking at like 63% of people saying yes, they would, and half of that being enthusiastically saying yes. If that is the offer on the table... And if there is an inkling that Calgary would say yes to that, and there is any kind of idea that you know that Kachuk would sign that, I am laughing my way to the bank to make that move 
and to sign this man's check. Why are you going to the bank to make a trade? I'm going to take the money out of the bank to give to him in cash. Oh, okay. And him right now, all $88 million in cash. We're cashing in the yacht and we are paying Matthew Kachuk. We are paying this man. You picked first overall last year. You've taken these steps. You've built the depth in the system. What are we missing? That star piece up front. If you have the ability to sacrifice even let's say four or five futures, highly thought of futures to get that one star piece, you are still left with an unbelievable amount of depth, not only on the team right now, but in your prospect pool. I mean, I'm not going crazy here, right? Like you can remove those guys from the pool right now. Say you took uh, Paterka, Rosen, and Ostland. Again, that, that's the three really, really nice pieces. You take them out of the existing prospect pool and the Sabres still have a top 10 prospect pool in the NHL, undoubtedly, without losing any of the major core pieces on the roster. Yes. People are worried about, like, if you don't want to move those guys for Matthew Kachuk, I got bad news for you next year because they're going to do something if they're looking good. Like, they have yeah, a smart, there's a smart management team there. They, they know this. Yeah, so I, the, to, to be clear, I don't think this is going to happen because I don't think he wants to come here. For sure. It doesn't seem like – but if he did, this would be like an O'Reilly trade. And I know O'Reilly trade that just saying that gets people PTSD, but the first one was good. It, yeah. And that was the Sabres being bad and, and the rebuild failing and nothing to do with the O'Reilly trade. That was one of the things that went right. And it's like, even looking at the Kane Leonard and O'Reilly trades, and we've done this before is what do you miss? What's the right. best piece of the O'Reilly trade? Is it Comfer? Is it the Zadorov? Zadorov's bounce around in teams, third pairs all, all around the league. Is it, I mean, JT Comfer, good for him winning a Stanley Cup. But what is he, like their 11th best forward? Right. No shame in that, but he's like, no one would care about him if he was in Buffalo. He could be the exact same guy having the exact same impact. No one would care. Unless he's we're like, talking, right. Unless we're I'm, talking about somebody who is projected to be like a star player, you trade potential for established value every day of the week. Well, look at Brendan Lemieux. He was the first pick of the second round or the second oh. pick of the second round whatever right he's he's a nobody i what mean look mean? at a lot of these look at everyone we get look at all these prospects we gave up they're nobodies joel armia armia is another one a, yeah he had, a had one okay season in montreal right. like or it was at winnipeg one no, of the it was, either, montreal. It was montreal yeah yeah yeah. he like he and that was it he's a first round pick he was he was basically where isaac rosen was taken so it's worth considering. I, I know not all Sabres draft picks are going to fail like this, but you can't have PTSD about something that didn't even, isn't even a bad thing that happened. Like have PTSD about uh, giving Risto a huge extension and then making him the number one D guy and sticking him next to the corpse of Josh Georges or, or having all this faith in Zach Bogosian that he was going to be a, a star offensive defenseman. Right. Have PTSD about those things should have PTSD about how, in different ways, uh, they botched the Leonard and Kane moves because they didn't uh, understand non-hockey issues with them. Don't get mad about the, like the O'Reilly trade. JT Comfort does not matter. Would not have changed a thing. Not at all. Well, and that's the thing, too. People would be like, there were people at the time who did not like that trade. Who thought yeah. we were giving up a special piece in Comfort or thought that we were giving up too soon on Zadorov, And it's like, look what we got in return. Like, obviously the, you know, the team results necessarily didn't uh, end up 
showing up there or anything, but O'Reilly was fantastic for us. He was great, undeniably. And then we traded him, and he went and won a goddamn Conn Smythe in a Stanley Cup. And a Selkie. And a Selkie. Yeah. Well, that's what you get for getting sad. We will oh, send you out. Uh, but anyway, talking I'm about... So sorry uh, to get everybody's Thursday started off like this. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're talking about Sabres prospects here. Why don't you go off on something that you did, and a lot of people have been doing around the Sabres Real yeah, quick, so why don't we, you give a big spiel to the people about it? Yeah, so as Taylor just mentioned there, there we've seen a lot of folks now with the draft in the rear view uh, looking at the Sabres prospect pool, which again, I think is unquestionably among the best in the NHL and ranking the prospects. Now, a lot of people have done it with everybody in the system. Um, a lot of our colleagues at the Charging Buffalo have done that. Uh, a lot of just fans in general, people have been doing that because it's an exciting exercise to kind of, you know, rank the guys and see where everybody is going to project and everybody's varying rationales for why people were ranked a certain way or where they were put. Um, the Sabres are kind of in a fun spot because there is a, a very, very clearly established unquestioned top five, but everybody aside from number one is switching the order up. Like I haven't seen uh, like one of these prospect rankings where the top five was the same, like every, like multiple people have the same top five because there, there's a lot of conversations we had on it. Now, when it gets to six through 10, that's where things start to get a little bit more interesting. There's some core names there that are on every list, but the orders are different, but then there's also just, you know, guys who move in and out who maybe some guys have a guy at seven and another person has them at like 12 or 13. So we thought it'd be cool just to kind of do that exercise ourselves. We're going to do our top 10, Sabres prospects and rank them. So Taylor, do you want me to go from one to 10 or 10 to one? What 10 to one, 10, 10 to, to one. one. I, I, I hate when people do it the other way. All right. Well, coming in at number 10 for me, I have Isaac Rosen. Sabres first round draft pick that we ended up taking with the Philadelphia pick last year. Rosen comes in at 10 for me because I think there's a lot of potential there, uh, obviously with him being a first overall pick last year, didn't go particularly well for him just from the, you know, vantage point of him getting the amount of ice time that we would like to see him get. That is going to change this year, whether he's playing overseas or whether they have him in Rochester, I think it'd be very interesting to see him in Rochester and to see how he would be able to adjust to the AHL game much more physical because Rosen is much more of a skill player um you know it doesn't have a lot of size on him but the skill is there and just to see how he would be able to function in that kind of uh an environment on a night-to-night basis there are a lot of questions about whether he is going to be able to put it together he has a lot of skill like i said a lot of really good tools but it's a matter of is this guy going to be able to maybe overcome some defensive deficiencies, maybe bulk up a little bit more, get a little bit stronger and be able to put the tools together so that he could be an effective, you know, we'll say middle six, top six NHL winger. So I have him at 10 for that reason. Uh, you know, just looking at perspective, his uh, projections, what he could end up being his potential at number nine, I have Ryan Johnson. So I have Johnson here at nine. I think, there's a really good player there. I think that Johnson, to me, if he ends up coming to the Sabres, like let's say he does sign this year, I think there's a chance he could even potentially make the team out of camp, like if they gave him a shot to, um, because of the talent that's there right now. He's a great skater, offensive-minded defenseman, moves the puck well, really got better as the season went on last year for Minnesota. 
you know, obviously I would love to see him sign with the Sabres and eventually and, and be in Rochester this year, or Buffalo, whatever. Um, but I think his growth is something that's really intriguing. And, you know, year over year, he has gotten better. And so for me, I, I put Johnson at nine because I think he can max out at being a really good uh, we'll, we'll call it like a, a, a good second pairing defenseman, but a really, really good third pairing guy. Um, again, did he game, move up or down your list at all based on the fact that he hasn't signed yet? Well, oddly enough, actually, I, I would say no, not necessarily because I have oddly enough, my next guy on the list is Eric Portillo, but either way, I don't think that either of them would have moved higher than, um, eight or nine for me, to be completely honest. Um, yeah, so Johnson is there at nine for me at eight. Like I said, I have Eric Portillo Portillo, obviously, you know, we can't get too over our, over, uh, over the top of what we see from development camp, but he looked really, really good in development camp. He of course is backstopping Michigan. He backstopped them last year to a frozen four appearance. I mean, all the tools are there with Portillo to be an NHL goalie. He's got the size, he moves well, he's athletic. Obviously with goalies, it takes a lot of time with them putting it together and, and adjusting to the relative age ranges that they're playing alongside, especially when it comes to getting into the NHL level. But I do think that there is a starting goalie there and Eric Portillo, and I have him at eight on this list. And again, having Johnson and Portillo at eight and nine is not to be any kind of knock against them because I think that they both could end up being nice prospects. But again, I think it more so speaks to the the depth and the quality of the prospects that are really in the in the top seven for the Sabres here any thoughts on my my first three here from eight to ten uh you have one of every position so far so that's good go. balance good balance uh, not really besides that I guess I I think Rosen has fallen into people's estimation since last year um and it seems like Johnson and Portillo have both kind of treaded water which is not a bad thing obviously because a lot of prospects have come in but they've at this point it's uh i would say sabers fans are nervous about both of them right not and who knows? maybe they both end up signing i mean i'm not confident in that i i feel like i have more confidence in johnson signing than i do portillo but i still feel like as unlikely as it is there's something in me that still tells me there's a chance that both of them end up signing not a big chance but a chance nonetheless I'm not yeah. dismissing the idea of it, I guess. Right. All right. Coming in at number seven, Noah Oslin, first round pick this year, took him 16th overall at the time. And, and still now, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, there were some questions about the pick, not necessarily in terms of whether Austin belonged in that general range, but more so what was available on the board there to, I, I guess, be a little bit different from what we currently have in the system right now. Austin, though, I think projects as a really quality two-way playmaking middle six center for this team. Um, he had said in development camp that he feels as though he has two more years in Sweden before he comes over from North America. I think that's definitely fair. One of the big things with him, I, I, he just he needs to get stronger and bulk up a bit. His size, he's got to put some weight on, got to put some muscle on. But I do think the pieces are there for him to be a really nice middle six, two-way center that is relied upon in penalty kill situations and also can score for you in a pinch too. At number six, I have the fellow who was taken right after him, Yuri Coolidge. So Coolidge, I think, is a really, really interesting piece there. Um, you know, I, I know it's kind of funny to have Ostland uh, behind Coolidge. I think 
in reality, they could be interchangeable if I'm being completely honest. Um, I, I just think in that six to seven, like the top five is just so clear cut that after that, I think there's plenty of room for interpretation, not necessarily in order, but like the five guys who belong in that one to five range are all very, very much established um, as belonging there. Coolidge though, I like the player a lot. I think the big thing that I would put him above Austin for is that he feels more ready for the North American game right now. And his shot is, I would say, above average quality for the NHL right now. Ostland, I think, has a lot of great tools. His playmaking ability, his vision is great. But I think Coolidge, him being a center as well, and just, again, having like that shot at his disposal, I think then will allow him to open up his playmaking a little bit more because teams are going to know that they can't just rely on or they can't just expect him to be just a, a pure shooter, a pure playmaker. You know, he'll be able to develop his all around game a little bit more there. And I think that he's just a, he plays a little bit heavier of a game. And I think that it'll translate really well to the NHL off the bat. And so him being able to get his feet wet, maybe a little bit earlier, I think will end up being an advantage for him over Austin. But again, who knows in the long run, these two years in Sweden could end up being really great for Austin. And he comes over and, and is ready to hit the ground running. So now that you're halfway through, let's take a quick break uh, here and uh, hear a word from our sponsors, DraftKings. So the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. So this is where I'm supposed to talk about uh, an upcoming game or anything like that, an upcoming bet that I'm interested in. Uh, so I, I told you guys three bets for this recent MLB All-Star weekend, and it didn't turn out great because I gave you Pete Alonso for the home run derby. He did not win. Juan Soto did. I gave you the American League for the All-Star game. That was correct. And then I gave you Aaron Judge for All-Star game MVP. It was actually the other gigantic slugger on the Yankees mm. that won All-Star game MVP, John Carlos Stanton. So one of three, but almost like one and a half, because those are pretty similar guys. So I was not right about that, but I'll say this. Juan Soto, who won the home run derby, is being traded. Uh, probably. He's not It's seemingly going to sign with the Nationals. He turned down an almost $500 million deal. <laughs> um, so he obviously is looking for a huge payday wherever he goes. And... I'm worried it's going to be the Dodgers. I'll tell you what, if it's the Dodgers just right now, immediately fade them. If you can, it's not reasonable. I'm not telling you that there's a good reason behind this because if he goes there, they'll, they might, they might already be the most talented team and they will be, but they make these big trades. They made it before Manny Machado comes to mind. Uh, he was briefly a Dodger. Uh, I'm not, you know, you have other guys like, uh, Forgetting the pitcher, they got you Darvish. He was a Dodger for a little while. They make these huge trades or huge signings. They've only won one World Series, which was the uh, the weird one. So their odds are going to be terrible. The weird one. In terms of the weird 2021, there's no fans. Uh, 
their odds are going to be like one to two to win the World Series if they trade for Juan Soto. I don't even care they gave up. Last year's actually a good example. They traded for Scherzer and Trey Turner, and they lost in the NLCS. So the odds are going to be ridiculous. Bet the field. Bet literally anyone. Not literally anyone else, but like there'll be there'll be uh, the, the Dodgers' odds going that way means the everyone else's odds will be better. So even look at the Braves; they're still flying under the radar, or like the Mets. I don't know. Whoever's odds looks good. If the Dodgers trade for Juan Soto, think about that. It's just, it's just the way these past, this past decade has gone. Dodgers make undeniably great moves, great at everything. Don't win the world series, for whatever reason, even when they get close. Anyway, best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. Now we're back. All right, should we move on to number five then? Yes. All right, everybody. This is where it starts to get interesting. And at number five, Taylor, I have J.J. Paterka. At this stage of the game, and really throughout this entire list, but I think really when trying to assess the top five, I looked at it from likelihood of obviously being like a regular NHL, but also just weighing what the potential what the potential of the player is. So I have Paterka at five Paterka. I think, like I said, is going to end up being a legitimately really, really good middle six winger in this league. He, in the very brief stint, we saw him with the Sabres. He looked like he belonged there. He obviously had a dominant season in Rochester this year. His game translates so well to the North American style and you have the vision there, you have the skating, you have the, the tenacity in the game that you want, where it's just 110% every shift. There's creativity. There's a, just so much to like about his game. But the reason I have him at five is because I look at him and his, his ceiling as being like a really good, we'll call it like second line winger. Um, that's probably best case. I think safely we could say middle six winger either way that's still able to produce. And maybe we'll call him like, you know, Maybe he's a 50 point guy who is just really responsible on both ends. And, and, you know, he, he helps out the other line mates that he plays with. He's not necessarily going to be a guy that's going to be the dominant play driver on a line, but he's also not going to sink anybody or anything or have to be carried around by anybody. So I have Paterka. He will be the best John Jason the NHL has ever seen. See, there we go. At number four, this one was really tough. Paterka, I felt like was kind of the clear five for me two to four is where it was really tough and where I feel like there's a lot of wiggle room. I have Matt Savoy. So the reason I have Savoy there is because I do think that there are still some questions about whether he's going to end up being a center long-term in the league or whether he's going to end up being a winger. If he ends up being a center, I may be re uh, readjusting this, but I have him here still because of those question marks. I, in my mind, I think that they're going to try him at center, which I think they should. I think that he has the skating, the hockey sense, and the playmaking ability that would be very, very well suited for the league, very, very well suited for um, a guy even of his small size to still be able to excel. It's just a matter, again, it's kind of similar to Austin, maybe to a lesser extent, but about bulking up and getting stronger and just seeing you know, how they're able to – how I should say how Savoy is able to really exist in the middle and how he's able to be of support in his own zone. 
defensively. You know, we've seen throughout the league, smaller guys are able to effectively be centers, not making this comparison or anything like that. But like Braden Point, I feel like is a perfect example of this, of a smaller guy who is able to overcome his height deficiencies due to the fact of his just overall talent and his hockey sense and his skating ability. Savoy, I, I have a lot of hope for. I think that in a best case scenario, like everything ends up working out with him, there is a chance that we could be looking at a future first line center there. If that is the case where he does end up sticking at center and they feel as though that is his path, I, I would say just because of the value that a first line center can bring, he goes up to number two on this list. Maybe, I, I mean, I, I think power is going to be very, very special. Spoiler alert, like everybody else, I have Owen Power at number one. But I just think that there's so much to like about Savoy on top of just like the skill and everything, you know, just talking about guys who have like a really high motor, that is just Savoy to a T. The guy just, you would use like the Danny Briere comparison and a lot of people have. It's not necessarily that far off when it comes to style where there, there's playmaking ability there that's off the charts. There's the size that obviously maybe you can consider deficiency, but it is made up for by a guy who just goes balls to the wall. Every single shift is not afraid to get into corners is not afraid to get into a battle and can effectively win battles in spite of his size. Again, though, because of the size, I do think that there are some question marks about whether his long-term future is going to be at center or wing. And because it isn't concrete, I ended up putting him at number four at number three. Our goalie of the future, I have Devin Levi here. So that obviously means that I have Jack Quinn at number two, and I'll talk about them kind of in tandem here. The reason I went with Levi at three, I feel I'm very, very high on Levi, as everybody else is, obviously. We all see how special he is there. Walt, actually, our friend Sabermetrics, had pointed out a ridiculous stat that <laughs> this man, the past three seasons, has not had a save percentage below 940, Taylor. Wow. At Northeastern last year, 9.52. At the Canada U20 or at the World Junior Championship, he had a 9.64. And in the CCHL in 2019-2020, he had a 9.41 save percentage. I mean, the, the guy just – there is so much to like there. He doesn't have the size that a lot of NHL goalies we're, – we're starting to see that trend there. He is a smaller goalie, don't get me wrong but he makes up for it with other worldly athleticism. As we had saw at prospect camp, as we had saw last year at Northeastern, he is just so special to watch the way that he is able to move. His positioning is so sound and it helps compensate for the fact that he's a little bit smaller. His side to side lateral movements are, are off the charts. He, it, it just feels like this is a very, very, very special player that we're watching just blossom before our eyes. And People believe, I believe it very confidently, but people who actually like know these things and have sources and everything like Chad, for example, Chad said there is a 100% chance that he is signing after next year. All indications are leading to that. And so he'll be in Rochester at the start of the 2023, 2024 season there. I think his potential, is, you know, goalies are voodoo. Don't get me wrong. I could end up being totally wrong about this. We could all end up being wrong about it, but just the way that this guy looks, the way that he sees the game, the way that he talks about the game, the on-ice production. I mean, this is like perennial all-star kind of stuff that we're seeing that I feel as though he has the potential of being. Um, you know, he, he just, to me, strikes me as like a 60-start kind of guy in the NHL. Like, that's what he can max out as. And 
we don't know now. I mean, obviously with just his potential, it, it feels like the Reinhardt trade ended up being a lot better in hindsight than maybe we thought initially, because it didn't feel like we got as much as we necessarily should have. But if he ends up hitting his ceiling, people are going to look back at that trade even more fondly than they do right now. And, and I think all of that is why just looking at things, this is not to say like I uh, have a, you know, a lot of opinions about prospects, but like just all that would make me put Levi, uh, ahead of Quinn because totally. the way we've talked about his comparables in the NCAA over the past 20 to 25 years, they're all the very, the worst one, as we remember was Jimmy Howard. The other ones are like hall of fame or hall of fame, potential guys like Vesna level guys. Whereas Quinn who has made huge leaps the past few years, I would not say is at that level. That's fair. But the reason why I had him at two is due to the adjustments that he has made at every single level that the man has played at. It feels like he needs that buffer year. And then after that, he gets it down and the man is off and running. The reason why I put him ahead is because his shot is just so special. And I think that, you know, looking at another guy who has a very special shot on our team, Victor Olofsson, obviously, I think you and I both believe Victor Olofsson has, you know, one of the best shots in the NHL just in terms of both accuracy and as well as just like the, the actual power behind it itself. But when it comes to Quinn, what I really like about him and why I ranked him ahead is because of the fact that he has a playmaking ability and a, and the vision that a guy like Olsen with his shot that he doesn't have. And so that is going to make him extremely dangerous at the NHL level. He has the potential of being a 40 goal guy on the first line. And I think that I can totally see anybody wanting to put Levi second. That was the hardest decision for me was deciding which of the two to put number two and which to put number three. I ended up going with Quinn though, just because again, with how good of a season he had last year in the AHL and the comparables for his age group at that year. I mean, it was off the charts. He, he was phenomenal in his limited time up. We really didn't get to see much, which was disappointing. I know we would have liked to see him a bit down the stretch, but I think he's going to be a full-timer this year. And I think both him and Owen Power are going to be firmly in the mix of the rookie of the year conversation for going after the Calder Trophy. Goalies are just so much more unpredictable. And I think having Quinn, having the season that he had in Rochester that last year, that really put him over the edge for me to give him the tilt over Levi. But again, you know, obviously we'll see how his rookie season goes. We'll see how Levi's season goes. And then assuming that he signs at the conclusion of Northeastern's year, if he comes up and maybe he gets a couple of games with the Sabres, Rochester, and just seeing where they stand this time next year, I think will be really, really interesting. But it, it was really just the, the proven commodity in the AHL, coupled with the fact that we just, as much of a believer as I am in Levi, we just don't ever really know with goalies until they are in the NHL and proving that they belong there. True. So and who's then, number one? Number one, Lucas Rusek, everybody. Just wow. as we all expected. No, of course, Owen Power is number one. I mean, it goes without saying, we saw in the very brief stint that he had with the Sabres last year, everything matched up. It was the eye test. It was his, his analytics, you know, his, his possession impact. I mean, it was off the charts. And, and you see it so clearly, too, just how special he is when it comes to his, his smoothness, his calmness. 
um, both with the puck on his stick, without the puck on his stick, how he's able to utilize the space around him. His, his passing ability is off the charts. His ability to complete stretch passes accurately and with power. I mean, it's, it's top-notch stuff that we have not seen on this blue line in a while. I think the, the cool thing about him is that we have, you know, these two special pieces and him and Darlene on the blue line, but they both offer you such different styles. And so, again, like having these two guys be, you know, your 1A, 1B and, and locking it down on the top two pairs for the foreseeable future, the Sabres are in a great, great spot with their blue line right now. We're obviously missing that. That other piece in the top four right now, assuming that Samuelson is going to be ready to step into that role, playing on the left side of Darlene. But power is just, he's special, man. It, it, there's there's really not a lot that you can say about him that you don't like. It, it's just all around. He has all the tools to be a perennial all-star, potential Norris winner in the future. Again, it, it's just remarkable to watch him. And, and just seeing how good he was in the limited action that he had. I've obviously sample size. I understand that. But some of that stuff you just can't teach, man. Scary stuff. He's going to end up. I disagree. A- I think it's not. I think it's the opposite of scary. I think it's like uh, exciting. Yeah, I actually, I lay in bed at night horrified at the thought of this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I think it's so, good to so have potential. Would you go for your top five then? Are you saying you would go Power, Levi, Quinn, Savoy, Paterka, or would you do anything different otherwise? Um, no, that's how I would do it, I think. I'm, and the reason being, I, so I can say that I don't watch all these guys all that often, but what I've heard about Paterka from Michael Pekka especially is gives me the most hope for him. It's why I think he deserves to be in the top five, even though – you know, Otsland and Coolidge have a better, uh, he's pretty close in the draft with Coolidge anyway. So what's it matter? It, they were drafted barely any spots apart, different years, but still. Mm-hmm. So I know Otsland is drafted significantly ahead of where he was. And so was Rosen, but like Paterka has shown so much in Rochester. And then for Pekka to say what he did, I really trust Michael Pekka. Uh, I trust him uh, to pick out the right grocery store. I trust him to mm-hmm. be a shutdown forward, to hit harder than you would think. And to, uh, to evaluate other young guys that are going to be like him which is nice. So yeah. And then Savoy, I'm just really excited about him because I like, I like the idea of having a small, fast guy. We haven't had that really since, okay. We haven't had the right one since Breer. I was almost say we, we didn't have any Nathan Gerby and Tyler Ennis don't count. Tyler Ennis almost counted. Tyler Ennis almost got there, but you know, I, he unfortunately had the, the curse of a terrible name uh, and he couldn't overcome that. Ed Gerby was not quite that guy. So Briere is really the last guy under 5'11 the Sabres have had that's a good forward? Or am I really, am I really forgetting anyone? I don't think so. As a guy that's under 5'11, I would appreciate that. So, yeah, I would have him four. And then, like I said, I just think Levi's potential would put him number two just because I, I look at him, and as long as he signs, I see a guy that's like, and you know, a regular, an average season's like 9'15, a good season. He's in the 920s that's a tough thing to rep now that we haven't had a goalie for a couple of years it shows you how much you miss it you right. can have a 40 goal guy like skinner your team will suck your team probably won't suck if your goalie is like a 920 922 and plays enough games that's so tells you all that uh but briefly i just want to rewind the clock for three years just to show the improvement 
Um, because if someone there's there's probably someone out there being like, I think player X is gonna be not a star, but a really good NHLer. And they weren't even in your top 10. Three years ago, the charging Buffaloes, Joe Marino, our our colleague, did the uh Sabres prospect rankings after the 2019 draft, had no one in tier one. His tier two had just Dylan Cousins. His wow. tier three, his second best prospect, your ninth best prospect, Ryan Johnson. That by itself shows you how much things have improved. Number three prospect at that time for him was y- Yoki Haru. And so this is like basically a top 10. UPL, who I don't know if he still counts as a prospect. I guess he does. He wasn't even on your list. He's definitely fallen. Yeah, UPL is probably number 11. I know we should have mentioned him, but I would put him at Yeah. Uh, then Olofsson. Olofsson ended up being pretty good. Lawrence Pilot, who's back, but probably an AHL guy. Call-up special. Matias Samuelson after that, who is solid, not spectacular. And then Oscar Laxanen. That, that shows you. That guy was in their top goddamn 10. And Joe's not just some schlub. That guy knows what he's talking about. So the Sabres prospect rankings were dire at that time. So things have really improved in three years. Shit, you could do this two years ago. Two years ago right now. Well, the draft hadn't happened in 2020 yet. So I guess never mind on that. But I think things weren't all that great at that point. Yeah. Look at this top 10 you have right now. Like Quinn was a huge question mark. Paterka also, I mean, Quinn was less of a question mark and more people were upset about it. Paterka was a question mark. And then going through the guys after that, we didn't have Levi. Portillo wasn't exactly the starter at Michigan yet, if I'm not mistaken, at this point. Uh, and going through, uh, just going down the line after that, it's not, a lot I mean, of these guys weren't there. I mean, obviously we just drafted three of this top 10. Seven of the 10 guys who I have on my list were first round picks. Yeah. And that's Makes not sense. including guys also who were at development camp too, like Krebs, for example. Krebs? Yeah, I guess he's an NHL guy now, so he wouldn't count I, I for the top ten. though. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't think about him. Yeah, I guess he would. He played like thirty games last year or more. Or so, and he was in Vegas too. Yeah, he's an NHLer. Anyway, so my random former saber of the episode, if we're, if we're to that point yet, I think I have an easy one because he announced his retirement yesterday. Is the the always dependable Andre Sakara? He's going to be mine too. About a, almost 15 year career. If you go by when he got called up for the first time. Good for him, man. Yeah. Appreciated about a dozen years as a regular NHLer. So good, bad trade by the Sabres underrated, bad trade. They traded him for Jamie McBain. And was that it? Was it a one for one out of my mind? It was not good. I think it was just that. So <laughs> it was not a good trade, whatever it was, because uh, Sakara immediately went there. He was good. Went to Dallas eventually. He went to Edmonton as well. He was kind of all over the place. He was he was just always solid wherever he went. He was never a guy you want. He, he's basically the ideal second pair defense. It was the second round pick in McBain for Sakara. Uh, I'm sure they spent that pick wisely. That's that's actually <laughs> that's a great question, Taylor. Let's see who they ended up taking. Give me a minute here. Keep talking about Sakara though. Yeah, so I remember when he first came up, I actually had some problems with him. I thought he was like a little bit sloppy with the puck, but I also probably just had problems with at that point with defensemen who weren't like the burly tough guys. And I actually had problems with most of the Sabres because I was super frustrated in that period. But he really came around. You know who it was? Who? JT Comfer. (laughs) Really? He was the pick. Well, he ended up being part of an important trade, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. 
yeah. Yeah. Was that that was that 2013? That 2013 second round ended up being not as exciting as people thought. It was a 13 uh, or 14 when they had multiple picks. And they had uh, like Connor Hurley. The, uh, yeah, this one they took Justin Bailey also in the second round. I think the one you're thinking. Oh yeah, it is that one. It's the Hurley was 30. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, this is a rough one. They had 35. They took Comfer. 38. They took Hurley, and then 52. They took Bailey. The I mean, guy, there's I'm not even really seeing many like quality NHL guys in here. And I, I say quality. There's a couple guys who are who've been in and out of the league and everything. I mean, Comfer is probably the best one, I would say. Robert Hag was taken in the second round here. Hmm. Not a great second round. All right. So Comfer's solid. Oh, Arturi Lekkinen, not bad. Tyler yeah. him too. Yeah. There's some guys there. Um, Comfer is like Conry was also in the second round, fun fact. Hey, wow. He's like a guy you would you just as soon have on your third or fourth line, but like nothing crazy. Tristan Connor Hurley, I don't what did what did Connor Hurley even end up doing? He went to Notre Dame and then uh, I don't know. I don't remember even like hearing about what happened. I don't know if he was ever in Rochester. It's like he disappeared. He was in the ECHL and then I don't think he's playing anymore. Yikes, that's tough for a second round pick. Good lord. Yep. Bailey at least got a cup of coffee in the NHL, but yep. it was cold. Uh so do you have any recommendations? I don't really. Um no, I might have one for Sunday because I'm going to see Nope tomorrow. But no, sorry, I can't go. Yeah, the listeners. Uh, Brendan wanted to go, but he was too scared. It turned out. <laughs> yes, that's that's precisely what it is. No, yeah. no I can't go. Unfortunately, uh, I recommend if people are bored this weekend, come see uh, my cover band play on Friday night at Thin Man on Chandler. Oh, 8 to 11. So that'll be a good time. And then my original band's playing on Saturday at Mohawk Place. So. Nice. And looking for plans either uh, either night this weekend. Come hang out. Wow. Maybe I'll See, even get you to come out on Friday, Taylor. Maybe. Doing anything. We'll All right, we'll talk about it. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using. Check out all of our fellow shows and follow them on social media as well. You can also find us on social media, Straight Up Sabres on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And last but not least, make sure you are checking out DraftKings and using that promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Have a great weekend. This has been Straight Up Sabres. 